Our reading today comes from Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand doubled for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places as a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, good morning. Uh, good to be with you this morning. Let me join Dylan and Alexa and Kara and our worship team in just welcoming you uh, this Advent season. It's really good, whether you're joining us online or you're in person, um, it's really a privilege to be here this morning. Well, hearken back. I just said hearken. That's not how I want to start. That sounds like Christmas, right? <laughs> Go back about 14-ish years ago, and my wife and I and our 14-month-old daughter, Grace, were flying back from China with some college students. And we were supposed to make it back in about 18 hours with about one connection, and what happened is we missed our one connection, and we ended up spending a night sleeping on the floor of LAX with a bunch of college students and a 14-month-old, and I remember about 3.30 in the morning walking around the various, you know, parts of LAX, and my one thought was, I just want to be home. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever said that? Some of you will be doing travels this, you know, Christmas, and you'll get to about day two of traveling with in-laws or other parents, and you'll say, I just want to be home, right? Well, as we continue in our Advent series, What Are You Waiting For?, the original audience that Isaiah is writing were 900 miles from home, and they weren't on vacation. They were in exile. You see, first the Assyrians, and then second the Babylonians had by force taken them from their home and transplanted them and displaced them. And their world had turned upside down. And the issue wasn't just a geographical problem. It was a theological problem. Questions like, has God abandoned us? Questions of where are you, God, in all of this? Questions of have, have you given up on me, God? Questions of is there even a God, perhaps? Have you ever asked those questions? You know, maybe it's a season of tremendous loss relationally. Or maybe it's a tremendous season of loss physically or financially. You've walked through a season of suffering and you're wondering, where is God in all of this? Or maybe it's a time in your life in which you're honest, you've been kind of walking the other way, away from God. And you're thinking about maybe coming back, but 
you're wondering, man, has God given up on me? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're just curious, you're skeptical, on a whim you thought you'd give this a chance, and you are asking the question, is there actually a God in all of this, all the mess of this world? Well, Augustine, this 4th century bishop in North Africa, he wrote a biography of his life, and it was about uh, his life before he became a Christian. It, it's a, it, it would be one that could be on the New York Times list today. His honest account of his various ways of running from God, and then God finding him. And, and when he describes what was afterwards, what it was like, he said these words. He says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And what Augustine was suggesting at the end of the day is simply this. If the scriptures are true, then our real home is with God. And this morning, Isaiah shows us a vision of God who meets those who are far from home, in the midst of despair, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of confusion and doubt, and he meets them with compassion in order that they might come home to him. And if we have eyes to see and we have ears to hear, we're going to see that that same God meets us today in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our doubt. He meets us with compassion so that we might come home to him. So two things this morning in order to come home. The first is we've got to behold his compassion. And then secondly, we've got to embrace his glory. So let me pray, and we'll step in. Good Father, um, we pray this morning that as we see your heart, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it's like. Lord, in the midst of our confusion, our doubts, our fears, would you meet us, we pray, in and through your word, by your spirit. Amen. Well, look at verses 1 and 2 as we consider beholding his compassion. It begins this way. Isaiah writes, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This passage opens with two times saying the word comfort, comfort, comfort. And you must understand, in the Hebrew, they didn't have like what we have with Microsoft Word, where you can just bold and italicize and make it 32 font, right? But when there's repetition in the Hebrew scriptures, that's what it's saying. It's emphasizing. And two times, God is saying, comfort, comfort my people. He is meeting them with tenderness. He is meeting them with compassion. He is speaking tenderly to his people. 
And it should surprise us if we know the circumstances. You see, centuries earlier, God had graciously called these people to be his people. Going back to Abraham, going back to Moses and the Exodus, God had called them out to be his faithful, special people. And yet, they had entered into a covenant with him, and they had been unfaithful. They had time and time again wandered and gone after other gods, and time and time again, God had come after them in various prophets and messengers and said, hey, come on back, come on back, you're running from me. And time and time again, they had been unfaithful until it was too late until the curses that were spelled out in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 came to pass with the instruments of Assyria and Babylon coming in and sending them into exile. And this is why, in verse 2, when it says that, that they have received in the Lord's hand double for all her sins, we might initially recoil, thinking that, has God just kind of paid them back twice for what they did? It actually means that it's the right amount and yet, notice, it's right in the midst of those circumstances where they're in exile because of their unfaithfulness to God, that God's heart has not grown cold. Even though they had rejected him time and time again, notice how God addresses them. He still calls them my people. Comfort, comfort, my people. He meets them with compassion. What might this mean for you and I? Um, let me put it this way. Some of us think that if we were to return to God, we might get a lecture. We might get crossed arms some of us think that it is our obedience that controls God's heart toward us. Some of us think, I was reading this last week, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, reworking my way through it, as he puts it, that we are people who try to win God's heart rather than working from God's heart. That in one way or another, God's compassion confronts our dark thoughts, as Ortland writes, that God's love has an expiration date. Listen, wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever questions you are asking, where is God? What is he up to? Has God abandoned me? Have I messed up for the last time? Is he finally through with me? I want you to see this picture right here. Because what do we see? It's a God who meets a people who are asking these kinds of questions in these kinds of situations in the midst of their suffering and their sin, and he is not indifferent, but he is moved with compassion. And he's saying there's a way home. Have you beheld this kind of compassion? This is what Isaiah 40 shows us. But secondly, this shows us that we need to embrace God's glory. Look at verses 3 and 4. 
Isaiah writes, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for a God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. You know, this is rich, rich imagery. It speaks of a ceremonial highway. And in that day, in Babylon, where they were in exile, there's actually a highway that went right into the city. And it was known as the way of their god Marduk, in which the Babylonians, when they would take out and overcome other nations, they would have celebrations and victories of bringing their spoils into the city, celebrating what their god had done. But here, it says there's a highway being built. And it's not Marduk, but it's the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, the Lord, who's been victorious over his people's enemies. And he's actually, there's a highway going all the way from Babylon, 900 miles, all the way back to Jerusalem. I'm bringing my people home. And the crux is this, is that this is all going to take place, as it says in verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This, this superhighway going back from Babylon all the way back to Jerusalem <clears throat> would happen when God's glory would be revealed. And for those in Isaiah's day, this language of glory meant God's special presence, being with them. You can go back to, for example, at the end of the book of Exodus, they take the tabernacle, this kind of portable tent to house God, to worship, and they complete it, and all of a sudden, the glory fills the tabernacle. They can't even go in. Or you go to 1 Kings 8, when the temple is built, they, they finish with it, with, with it, they dedicate it, and all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord fills it. They can't even go in. It's his special presence, his special presence being with them. And so the, the question is, where is this road? Where is this glory revealed? And historically speaking, around 539 B.C., this people in exile would return home. There was a pagan king named Cyrus who would make an edict that, that said, you can all go back. And that's where we get the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in fact, that's where we'll be, actually, as we start the new year, we'll be in Nehemiah. But when you go back to these portions where they return to Jerusalem, it's really clear that this isn't the ultimate fulfillment of this superhighway. This isn't the ultimate restoration of God's people. It's clear that the rebuilding of the temple and these things, it's, it's, a, it's a picture, but it's not all there. It doesn't match up with this picture of a restoration in God's glory. But then, six centuries later, all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, quote these verses, verses 3 and 4, and they place them in the context and the forerunner, John the Baptist. He's in the River Jordan, and he's the voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. He's getting the people ready. And he points directly to Jesus. 
the one who would deliver. The gospel writer John, speaking of Jesus and God's glory, puts it this way in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Christmas is this. The highway is being built. The glory of God, his special presence has shown up. The way home to God has finally arrived. And all arrows, all signs are pointing to Jesus. He's the way home. What will you do with his glory? In 2007, there was a man named Josh Bell. You may have heard of him. He's a renowned violinist. But there's kind of this like early YouTube viral thing that happened because Josh Bell, who plays like a, literally a $4 million you know, violin and packs out Carnegie Hall and all these places to see, he put on a baseball cap and he went down to the metro station at Washington. He took out his violin and he opened up the case and began to play for all those people who were passing by. It's a remarkable video because there are over a thousand people who walk right past him and don't stop. At the end of the day, Josh Bell made $52.17. Only seven actually stopped to listen to him for a time. And in the end, there was only one person that recognized him. And when he did, he flipped a 20 in there appropriately, right? <laughs> I give the guy some respect, you know. Would have paid 100 to go see him down the street, but here I get him for 20. There Josh Bell is, this glorious performer, and people are walking right by him. What are you going to do with this glory? You know, uh, Eugene Peterson has this great quote about Jesus and his glory. He, he writes this, he says, when we look up the glory in Jesus, we find, are we ready for this? Obscurity, rejection, and humiliation, incomprehension, and misapprehensions, a sacrificial life, and an obedient death, the bright presence of God, backlighting what the world despises or ignores. What will you do with this glory? What will you do with this Jesus? Let me offer just two things you must do to embrace this glory. The first is repent. <laughs> it, re repent, it, it means to change one's mind. It means you're, you're going the wrong way. It's, it means you're building your life on a foundation that will not last. It means you're building your identity, your worth, your significance on something that is an illusion. If you really understand repentance, it is a turning from the life you are pursuing. 
Um, years ago, Tim Keller, Unpacking Repentance, made this point. It's so helpful. But he said this, that many times, you know, people say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm not perfect. And yeah, I need to do better. And yeah, I was wrong there. But if you really understand repentance, it's not only repenting of the bad things you do. A Christian knows it's actually repenting of your good things you do. And that's the difference with Christianity. That's the difference with Jesus. It's not just repenting of your bad things. It's actually repenting of the good things you think actually contribute to your relationship to God. And that's why, you know, whether this Christmas you would call yourself religious or non-religious, repentance, as Newhouse puts it, means this. It's a painful loss of self and an abandonment of false securities. And yet, that's the path home. If you really see Jesus for who he is, not just the Jesus you want him to be, but the Jesus for who he is, that's the beginning part of the path home. But secondly, you've got to rely. You know, the, the picture of Isaiah 40 is of a victorious king delivering his people from Babylon over these enemies and bringing them all the way home. And you'll notice in Peterson's quote, he, he, he mirrored, he talked about the sacrificial life and obedient death of Jesus. And this is the folly of all follies, and yet this is what the gospel reveals about God's glory. It's that God's compassion and his justice and his love all meet at the cross to overcome that which stands opposed to us to that which is our enemy of sin, Satan, and death itself. And that's the news, that the deliverer has come. And he has won a great victory. But to embrace Jesus, to embrace that glory, is not merely to embrace Jesus as a good teacher, but it's to embrace Jesus as Savior. You cannot save yourself. It is to rely and rest on that work, and that work alone. That is the path home. As we close, let me offer just a few thoughts for those considering what this might mean for you. For some of you, you're new. You're just exploring Christianity. You're not sure what you think of it. You know, Christmas time is one of those times like you just kind of dive in. I'll just try it out. Well, what I say is simply this. Is this season, will you seriously consider Jesus? Not for who you think he is or not through which the culture says he is, but will you really consider the person of Jesus? You know that, you know, that, that picture of Josh Bell in the metro station and people just walking by in the busyness of their lives right? That's so, so clearly what happens today when people consider Jesus. I don't have time. I'm not going to see anything there. And what you don't understand, if you would just stop and you would listen, do you know what you would see? You know, and maybe for you, it just means, you know what? 
I can, I can come, I can check this out on Sundays sometimes, I can come back. Or maybe it's that friend who keeps nagging you to go to church with them. Sit down with them for a cup of coffee and ask them about what Jesus has done in, the, in, in their life. Or maybe I'll just dare you this way, the shortest gospel is the gospel of Mark. It takes one and a half hours to read it. Maybe this week, turn off Netflix, off your show, take a week and read the Gospel of Mark, or take seven minutes a day for two weeks, you'll read the whole thing, but look at Jesus. Consider that this season. For those of you who are new, but are just kind of coming back, you know, perhaps this has been a season where you just kind of been adrift. I mean, COVID, pandemic, is just like really made you wonky. Just like, I feel distant from God. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe you've made some choices that you're like, oh, I knew he wouldn't be pleased with that. I want you to see this morning the compassion of God in the heart of Christ. Do you know that his love for you has not run out do you know that his heart has not grown cold? You know, Jesus would describe it in this parable in Luke 15 that God is like a lovesick father, right? Who's looking for his child to come home. And as soon as he sees him, what does he do? He doesn't tap his foot and cross his, you know, he runs to his son. And embraces him. Let me say, for the rest of us, for those of us who are maybe, you know what, I'll be here every Sunday. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do this thing. One thing that really caught me this week was in Ortland's book when he talked about what are you working for and what are you working from. And what caught me was oftentimes I am working trying to win the heart of Christ rather than from the heart of Christ. What if we were a community that were so captured by this heart that we were renewed not to work for his heart, but to work from his heart? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful um, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in steadfast love, that you are rich in mercy. You're not, you're not cheap in mercy. You are rich in mercy. And we give you thanks that, that you meet us where we are. And so pray today that whether we're far from you or near to you, that, Lord, you would help us afresh to see your heart of compassion in the face of Christ, the glory you have revealed. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.